The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. This is God's word, and it is true. The drug's street name is called Trank, and the effects of Trank are seen on the streets of Philadelphia more recently, as hundreds of heroin addicts are now purchasing not just heroin, but heroin that is laced and mixed with a horse tranquilizer. And those people in Philadelphia are roaming around, laying, hunched over, in the streets of Philadelphia under this tranquilizer's numbing and dulling effects. And the title of the YouTube video I witnessed this week is called Zombies of Philadelphia. And it is sobering to see what it looks like today. And as I set my eyes on the horrific reality that was in front of me, I heard the people that were sitting with me watching this cast a quick and easy judgment. Those people should be locked up. Those are criminals. The world's just not safe anymore with people like that on the streets. But it was ironic because in an instant as the television was turned off, I saw then most of their zombie-like faces tranquilized by a 3 by 6 inch phone. Tick-tocking their way into a world of escape into a world of tranquilized state, into a world of unreality. Friends, our eyes have become dulled and zombified into believing our present reality is the only reality. The sun doesn't wake us up anymore. What does our phone? We don't decide what to wear by looking outside, right? We go to the weather app to tell us how cold it's going to be today. We're a slave to our schedules so that we're not present in the present moment, but the thing that's coming next on our schedule is where we are today. I got to get there so I'm not here right now. We eat dinner with our emails or our texts. We drink with the Packer game on. We snap a quick pic of our forehead on our pillow and send it, snap it to our closest friends. And then we fall asleep with the latest podcast or Swifty song just lulling us to sleep. Wake up, comatose church. Get up, zombie disciples. See the vision of Isaiah. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. The Lord has opened his mouth. I'll read again Isaiah chapter 1 so you can hear and see this vision. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. The Lord has spoken. 
Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Friends, this is God's word, and it is the true reality of where we live. Our lives have become this gradual departure from true reality. And this is why we, as a leadership team, have chosen to spend our fall season in the vision of Isaiah the prophet. To wake us all up from our zombie-like state and see the true nature of things, the true reality of things. Today, I want us to stare long and hard at just two verses, listening intently at this beginning of this poetic and epic book. Because within these two little glorious verses lies the true reality of the entire Word of God. Do you see it yet? Do you want to see it? Isaiah, the prophet, is like Morpheus in the Matrix. Holding before you two pills. The blue pill or the red pill. Take the blue pill and the story just ends. You wake up after the preacher drones on... And you believe what you want to believe. That's what the blue pill offers you. So if that's what you want to take this morning, go ahead. I want you to tune out for the next 23 minutes. Go ahead and grab your phone. Your Wordle's on there. There's other things on there that you could look at and spend some time. Go ahead and do that. Feel free. Just, and then afterwards, go ahead and grab a donut. We got pasta coming. And then the Packer game's on. Go ahead. Go ahead and do that. Take the blue pill. But swallow hard the red pill. The words of these short two verses, and your world is going to be turned completely on its head. And I pray, and we have been praying for you and for me, that as we enter into this book and as we swallow the red pill, we may never be the same. Here's the true reality found throughout the book of Isaiah, sleeper and zombie. Here it is. The Lord rescues rebel children. I'm going to say it again, that it might sink deeper into you. The Lord rescues rebel children. The strange phenomenon about this true reality is that if you're like me, you do one of two things to that true reality. As I say, the Lord rescues rebel children. The first thing you do is you downplay it. You downplay that reality by saying to yourself and even to God, I'm really not that bad. I am not a full rebel. My family's really not that bad. My church is really not that bad. We downplay it. And then the second thing we do is we distract it. We distract that reality that the Lord rescues rebel children by saying to ourselves, oh man, I wish so-and-so were here to hear what Pastor Chad's talking about this morning. Because they are rebels. I wish my relative were here. I wish that person sitting on the other side of the room could hear this. I wish the zombies of Philadelphia could know that. We distract it off of ourselves. 
But in order for this red pill, this true reality that the Lord rescues rebel children can begin to digest and make its way through our bloodstream, what we need to do today is look intently at what the Lord is saying to us this morning. What does looking intently at what the Lord is saying to us involve? It's doing the opposite of the blue pill. It's doing opposite of what the zombie monkeys of our culture tell us to do. What do the zombie monkeys of our culture tell us to do? See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. We're going to do the opposite this morning. No, the Lord is saying this. I need you to see true reality. Take your eyes off, take your hands off your eyes. I need you to hear true reality. Take your hands off your ears. And I need you to speak true reality. Take your hand off your mouth. First, see true reality. At verse 1, you see essentially the title of this book. The vision of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet. And a prophet really is a seer, someone who sees things. Someone who has been given an ability by God supernaturally to see what's going on beneath the surface. Under the hood, behind the eyes of God, behind the eyes of people, behind the eyes of the world. And the word vision in the Hebrew has this intensity attached to it. Like you're looking intently at something, longly at something. Think of it like this. If you were to approach the Grand Canyon and just kind of glance at it, that's not what we're talking about with Isaiah. Isaiah is like a vision that becomes a deep descent from the South Rim Visitor Center down your way six miles into the Grand Canyon, making your way across the however 30, 40 miles of the Grand Canyon, and then up to the North Rim. This is the 66 books of Isaiah. That's the vision we're talking about. And we don't have time to make our th way through each word of this book. But in your worship guide, if you look at the back of your worship guide, you're going to find opportunities, mile markers for you to walk through the true reality of Isaiah. You'll see at the bottom, you'll see our sermon passage, where we're headed next week, the true reality of sin. You'll see if you want to read through all of Isaiah through this fall in short doses, here, read chapters 1 and 2 this week. And if you want to just meditate on one specific verse, true reality, then we're going to give you a verse or two to be able to sit with and let God show you the true reality of his word. Our table groups also, which begin next week, they're going to be taking time to journey through some of these passages that we're covering here and others that we're not covering in Isaiah. And so as we begin on the south rim with the vision, seeing the whole canyon in front of us, or behind the whole curtain. What is this book, or who does this book say is giving us this vision? What's his name? Isaiah. Isaiah. That's one of my seminary profs would properly pronounce it. His name means what? Anyone know what Isaiah means? The Lord saves. The Lord brings salvation. That's what Isaiah's name means. What is salvation? It's a word we use a lot in the church, and I don't even think we remember or know what it means anymore. The Lord rescues. The Lord delivers. The Lord helps. The Lord protects. That's what salvation is all about. And it's the underlying theme of Isaiah. Salvation. And friends, 
It's actually the true reality of the whole word of God. Salvation is the theme of the entire Bible. You will find salvation being related to every other theme you find in the word of God. You can't open the Bible without seeing this true reality of God. God is one who saves. God saves. That's what Isaiah's name means. God saves. But who does he save? Verse 2 tells us. Children whom I have reared whom I have brought up, but children who have rebelled against me. God saves his rebel children. The entire book of Isaiah, and even the Bible, friends, it is an answer to hopefully the question you're asking. God is the God who saves. Here are the rebel children. What do we do with this? We have to ask the question, how does God save? How does the Lord save rebel children? That's what the whole Bible is seeking to answer for you. And it's not in a way that anyone saw coming. But it's indeed within a place and a time where we can see. It is indeed on earth as it is in heaven. God is incarnational, which means he doesn't work his saving plan way up there in heaven, distance away from the rebel children. No, that's what's so remarkable about the first verse of this passage in this book. It is dripping with promises of salvation. Salvation, saving that's found in a place, in a time. Isaiah was the son of Amos. It was Amos. Well, he was believed to be and chronicled to be a king. Isaiah was part of a royal family, which gave him access to the highest seats of power. Isaiah is the son of a king. Does that sound like anyone else we know? And the son of a king is declaring a vision about a people, Judah, and a place, Jerusalem. Who are these people and what is this place? Judah. These are the people, the remnant people from whom God promised would come a deliverer, a Messiah from Judah. And then Jerusalem, the place where the the temple of God is, where the presence of God is from heaven, where heaven meets earth, that's in Jerusalem. And Isaiah is writing during a specific time of four prominent kings in the family line of Judah. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Would we ever hear those names spoken in the New Testament? Yes, because from these four faulty kings would be birthed the Son of God and the Son of David, the King of Kings. These four men are Jesus' great-grandfathers. We have to begin Isaiah seeing this true reality of God. God is not a deity, friends, who winds up the world and just watches it spin out of control. The reality that we're living under says that's the case, but that's not true. See the true reality. The Lord saves. As I was prepping the sermon, walking out here, I heard sirens just blaring. Lots of them. And I was thinking, okay, someone's in trouble. And as I was reading this right here, I was like, Jesus, like the Lord saves. Whatever's going on there, only you can help. 
God is not a cold, detached, offended God or goddess of the sky who's going to strike down anyone who gets in his way unless you manipulate him with your good behavior or your sacrifices. That's not the God we serve. No, the Lord saves his rebel children. And they do nothing to earn that salvation. See this true reality about God first before you see anything else. Because, friends, this is the heartbeat, the downbeat, the upbeat of God's word. Salvation, 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 salvation is the downbeat and the upbeat and the every beat of God's word. Salvation. See that true reality. God saves. Second, hear this true reality that it involves every single one of you. Verse 2, again. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. How does the Lord want us to begin this journey through the canyon to the other side of Isaiah? With an honest evaluation of who all of us are. Rebels, felons, juvenile delinquents. We have willingly and knowingly acted in a corporate manner in opposition to God's authority and law. All of us, not just me. And this epic poem begins with, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. God begins with a call to order. It's like he's saying, order in the court, all rise. As he asks the heavens, the heavens, everything and everywhere that God dwells, including the angels of heaven, take your seat in the jury box, is what he's saying. Get ready. And then he says, lean in, earth. You can join in sitting in the courtroom and witnessing what's about to be displayed. To hear this case, earth, come on and sit down while the angels are taking the jury box. The Lord is speaking. And what's the first thing this God who saves declares? It's the first thing he says. Guilty, 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 guilty everywhere. We have to see ourselves in this true reality. We have to hear this, friends, because it takes salvation completely out of our hands. It has to lead us to a helplessness and a dependence upon a God who saves us. It's actually two of the main themes of Isaiah that we'll unpack this fall. The themes, I have to trust him and I have to trust his grace. Trust and grace are going to be two prominent themes of Isaiah. Trust in the other powers of the day to save you? No, they can't. These other powers, these other rulers, governors, presidents, they can't save you. I was in the locker room this week at the Y, and a guy said to me, 100 days till 2024, and 2024 is an election year. And I was like, no, an election year where we trust and believe that the powers of this day are going to save us. No, not another election year. Trust in the work of God alone to save you. We also can't trust in the works of our hands to save us. Your track record will only make you look a lot worse in court, friends. I had a barber who admitted to me she loved going on CCAP. Do you guys know what CCAP is? Some of you are nodding. Yes? Okay, so CCAP is Wisconsin's Consolidated Court Automation Program. And it's the place online 
where you can find anyone convicted of anything. You just type in a last name. I actually punched in Chad Bodwin, and I'm convicted of some things up in Door County because there's another Chad Bodwin that lives up in Door County. Okay? It was, it was very funny. I was like, whoa, whoa. Um, but she, my, my barber, she would love to get on CCAP. And she'd love to look up her rowdy neighbors and her ex-boyfriends and even her clients to see what is the dirt underneath their nails. Oh, I'd love to see this. And then you'd see their mug shot. She just loved getting on CCAP and looking at this. Well, hear this true reality, friends. If any one of us were to do a search on your pastor on CCAP, the length and the seriousness of his offenses in my short life would make any of those big-time criminals look like litterers or jaywalkers. And the same goes for all of you. Do a search on any of our spiritual sea caps, and our lists are going to be mighty long. As we see the true reality, a God who saves rebel children, and as we hear the true reality includes our own guilty verdict, it has to lead us to then speak the true reality, to speak a solution to this reality. Speak what the Lord has spoken. Speak the word of God. The answer to this question of how does the Lord who saves save rebellious children? His final word on that matter is what? Jesus. Whose name means what? Guess what, friends? It's the same as Isaiah's. The Lord saves. From the beginning of God's written and inspired word in the south rim of the Garden of Eden to the north rim of all things being made new, the name that is spoken throughout every single page is the name of Jesus. As you listen intently to what the Lord of salvation is speaking about rebel children like us, Hear every page as the Jesus Storybook Bible wonderfully dis displays, subtitled, Every Story in Scripture Whispers Jesus' Name. What is the name on the lips of your life? What name are you speaking today? Is it self or is it Savior? Speak the true reality, the name of Jesus. I want to give you four very specific applications on how speaking the true reality of Jesus might be practiced in your day-to-day -day life, sinners saved by Jesus, into saints. You're not going to remember them all. I wouldn't expect that. But maybe choose one to apply to your life this week. And there are four things. I encourage you as you're speaking the true reality in your life, eat the word, wear the word, wash in the word, and wait on the word. First, eat the word. Eating the word, it sounds strange, but it's really not according to scripture. It just means ingesting Jesus. When you were a kid, what were you told would help your eyesight? Do you remember as a kid? This will make your eyes go, you'll have great eyesight if you do what? Eat carrots, right? Right? Eat carrots. It never did any, I see, I lost all of you. It never did anything for me. I ate carrots and the only thing it did was turn my nose orange. 
That's all I did. I can't, I am blind. I cannot see you right now. Okay? But ingesting the word means making yourself, as you open God's word, a farmer. And as you're farming in God's word, harvesting Jesus, God's person of salvation, who is in every page of that book. As you're eating the word, I encourage you, diet, friends, from technology. Take a diet or fasting from technology and screen time, feasting on Mr. Beast or the latest news feeds. And ask God to speak Jesus into everything you read on Scripture's pages. Carrots aren't that great raw, are they? I don't think they're that great. My brother thinks they taste like grass when you eat carrots raw. But when they're cooked over time, what happens to carrots? Ah, they become so sweet. So too will Jesus as you eat the word. But he won't become sweet unless you see that true reality of God being a God who saves and you being a rebel child. Eat the word. Next, wear the word. And I'm thinking like I took up, I'm thinking like glasses, wear the word. Put these salvation glasses on to see everything around you from the stars in the sky to the zombies who are high in Philadelphia with Jesus as the bridge between a saving God and a rebel people. When you're wearing these glasses, friends, you will not see a sinner as too far gone. You will not see God as too far away. Wearing the word helps you to share your faith in a way that is extremely practical and relevant rather than detached, rehearsed, mechanical. When someone is struggling with sin, you can relate to them. And you can share the true reality of your own sin. I get it. When someone is believing God is absent, the word can set them straight and show them the true reality that, no, God is not absent. He gets involved in saving people. And when someone is unsure of what kind of remedy could help them in the mess that they're in, you can offer them the word of God. Jesus is the only remedy for sinners. Wear these lenses on your face and in your eyes. Eat the word. Wear the word. Wash with the word. When we got a uh, new front load washer, I did the strangest thing. We, I put on the first wash cycle, and I sat there. I'm, just, I'm confessing something to you. I sat there, and I washed it, washed the clothes for probably 20 minutes. I was like, this is so cool. Like, you wash it. Like, you see all the water kind of go through the clothes. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Look at that. Look at those clothes getting clean. It's just, it was just so much fun to wash. Watch the wash. It's weird. I know. But when you do wash, when you watch that, what are you seeing happen? Think about your soul like going through the wash. What's going on when your soul is going through the wash? The dirt, the grime, the temporary things that are attached to it, like they're attached to clothes, just start to fall away, don't they? And the clothing stays, stays there. Washing in the Word as you're eating to make your sight better, and you're wearing the glasses to help your vision, it starts putting life into perspective of what's permanent and what is temporary. 
what's eternal and what is just fleeting. Temporary worries, when they're being washed in the Word, start to fall away in light of eternal promises. People are not seen according to their sin on the grime that's on their clothes. They're seen as being made in the image of God. It's praying that God would clean your soul, your mind, your ears to even see yourself as he sees you. That's why we wear a robe. I wear a robe in the morning so that you would see yourself. You are washed and you are white as snow. Washing in the word helps us to see ourselves as God sees us. Finally, wait on the word. And this is probably the hardest one for us in our culture because we're so bad at waiting. Because it involves time, and we are so impatient. Waiting on the word means looking long at something until you're given by the Spirit, like Isaiah did, an ability to see true reality. Isaiah wasn't a robot who just took a pen and said, Spirit, move my hand. God certainly had Isaiah's mind and heart marinating with the things he was seeing around him. Sermons don't come, friends, with me just sitting my hands on a keyboard and saying, Spirit, take control. No. I open the passage on Monday, and it sits and marinates, and I wait on it in my head and in my heart like through the whole week. Waiting on the word involves loving as God loves. And how does God love? He looks long at enemies until they become an object of his love. Maybe you could do the same this week. Look long at an enemy as you pray and as you sit until they become, in your mind's eye, an object of God's love. Or looking at the hardest of circumstances or suffering that you're in long enough. Look long at the things, your job, being a parent, uh, raising kids, taking care of elderly parents, whatever it might be. Look long at the suffering and the circumstance you're in until God changes it into a gift. Look long at it. Look at your rebellious children long enough. Until you're ready to give them Jesus and not just another swat on the butt. Look long. Wait on the word. As many of you know, my wife and I, we had our first date on a research study on silence. We were in grad school and it was a study on using silence in the counseling session. And our first date involved us, we call it a first date, we weren't dating. Involved us being sitting with one another, staring at each other with 20 minutes and not talking. That was what happened. And as she looked at me, I won't look at you now, I want you to make it uncomfortable. And I looked at her, we moved beyond the circumstances of that classroom we were sitting in. We moved beyond the awkward, <laughs> this is weird, I don't know you. We moved beyond that awkward laughter. We moved beyond the discomfort to see a true reality. I saw broken places and sinful choices in her. And she saw the same rebel in me. But the most beautiful thing at the end of that waiting, end of that time, was seeing the true reality of Christ 
alive in two rebels who had been rescued by God. Wait on the word until you see that. May this fall, the Lord grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, mouths to speak the true reality that God saves rebel children through Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we cannot do this, see true reality, without your Spirit's help. And so, Lord, I do pray for our people that our eyes would be opened by you. Help us to approach your word looking for Jesus. Help us to put on lenses that have Jesus' perspective all the time. Help us to wash in the word that's spoken over us. That the temporary things of this world would fall away and the things that are true and eternal would last. Father, help us to wait too until we see the world as you see it. We need help. Rebel children need help. But thankfully, you are a God who brings help, and that help came through Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.